0: Ruth chapter 2. Open your Bibles to the book of Ruth chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of review before I read this chapter for us. And then we just walk through it and see the glories of God in some unusual ways here in the book of Ruth. Reviewing from last week, you'll remember there was a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi who lived in Bethlehem, which is about 50 miles away from Moab. In fact, if you went up on a hill on the eastern side of Bethlehem, you could look down over the Dead Sea into Edom, and uh, Moab rather, and see the, the green fields. And that was significant because there was a famine in Bethlehem. Because of that famine, there was no food. And so Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and their two sons to Moab for survival. While there, Elimelech dies, widowing Naomi. These two young men then marry Moabite wives. And then they die. The famine ends in Bethlehem. Naomi then returns with at first the two daughters-in-law only to have one of them turn back and the daughter-in-law named Ruth to stay with her and return to Bethlehem. And in verse 19, we find out of chapter one that the whole town was stirred up because of this. with that in mind... We open to chapter 2. Let me read that for us and put it in your mind so we can go through it. Now Naomi, this widowed woman, had a kinsman, close relative of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whom sight, maybe I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened by chance to come upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, you could even insert at that exact moment, and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and has remained from morning until now. And she's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied, said to her, All that you have done for your mother in law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and the wages be, be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and sip and dip your piece in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the best parts, the sheaves, and do not insult her, also you shall purposefully pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epha of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother in law saw what she gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi and what she had left and She was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she'd worked and said, the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Said another way, he is a kinsman redeemer. Then Ruth said, Ruth the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so the others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. One of the most important and confusing parts of Bible study for a Christian is... What do you do with this? What do you do with the Old Testament? What do you do with these stories and these narratives? Is it for us? Is it about us? Does it concern us who live in the New Testament age and especially here in the 21st century? What do we do with this? Is it just a nice story? What's it there for? It's an important question to answer as we work through the book of Ruth in the coming weeks. And two New Testament passages specifically help us. In 1 Corinthians 10:6, Paul said to the Corinthians, These things in the Older Testament, these things happened as examples for us. Romans 15:4, he told the Romans, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have. Hope. So Paul says that what was given to us in the Old Testament, first 39 books of the Bible, is for us in a special way. It's to instruct us. It's to give us examples. But there's something else. Everything in the scriptures, everything in the Old Testament is also designed by God to point to our need for Christ our need for a final sacrifice, an ultimate savior. Said another way, Jesus is not in every text, nor is every text in the Old Testament about Jesus, but every text provides reasons for us to think about him and our need for salvation. Jesus Christ and the gospel are not in every passage of the Bible. But every passage provides reasons for us to seek him and reasons for us to know and cherish the gospel. Said another way, Jesus is not in every passage, but he ought to be in every sermon. Said like Charles Spurgeon said it, you make a beeline from every passage in any passage to the gospel. You can get to the gospel from any passage, but the gospel is not in every passage. So when we come to read the Old Testament, when we come to interpret a book like Ruth, we're looking for three things. The character of God, the character of man, and the anticipation of the great Savior. The character of God, the character of man, and the anticipation that all of the Old Testament leads to, which is for the coming Savior. These are certainly in plain view here in the book of Ruth. Now, as we said last week, it's unique in the Bible. Its context makes it shine because it was written, or uh, rather, it was uh, framed during the time when the judges reigned. This was a dark, dark chapter in Israel's history. And the reason we're told in the last verse of the book was because every man did that which was right, where in his own heart, moral intuition was was the guide for all moral decisions it seems right to me, it's right. Now that seems okay until two people think two different things about what's right. And then you have a recipe for a collision. And that's exactly what you see played out in the book of Ruth. It was a dark, dark time. Now we come to this story that happened during this time when these judges, these governors ruled in Israel. Ultimately, The book of Ruth has to do with Naomi, has to do with Boaz, has to do with Ruth. But ultimately, the book of Ruth is about God. God is the hero. God is the focus of the book of Ruth. And as we noticed when we began introducing this book, there there are no audible visions, there's no angels, no burning bushes, no parted seas, no trembling mountains, no overt miracles, until you look at it at further, with a further eye. It's God making sense of everyday deeds and everyday decisions with everyday ordinary people in which he orchestrates an extraordinary path. The context, this was written during the, 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 the very early days of David's reign. I, I personally believe Samuel probably wrote the book of Ruth. do not have proof for that, but scholars tell us that's the best guess at who would write it. It was an apologetic, a defense of David's reign. Because someone would look at David's lineage and see that his line went back through, I'm foreshadowing, a Moabitess a foreigner who was clearly forbidden to be interacted with by Deuteronomy. And I think Samuel's getting ahead of the curve and saying God not only chose David, God actually ordained and protected David's line through the marriage to this Moabite woman. Again, Robert Hubbard says, Ruth portrays God as involved in life's ordinary affairs. Indeed, they are exactly the arena in which God chooses to operate. It describes how God works through, not despite, but through the everyday faithfulness of his people. Now, we broke the book down by saying we're gonna do it in four weeks, and every chapter has a title that we'll look at in the in the in each week it has four acts of of divine drama the first last week was tragedy and loyalty this incredible tale of this family going down three graves were buried by these three men uh in in whom these three men were were laid and And this widow and this Moabite daughter in law come back to Jerusalem. Everyone is up in arms and the rumor mill has started. The eyes were cast their way. People were whispering as they walked through the streets. And that's where we ended chapter one, looking at tragedy and loyalty. The title for this chapter and for today is simply this Boy meets Girl. This is really, really, can I just say this, it's fun. To see what God did with these two people in this way is amazing. And when you see the responses of each of them to the other, you're going to begin seeing what's coming in chapter three and four. Ruth two is really simple. This man meets this woman. Now, listen, I need to talk about this for a moment foreshadowing what's going to come in chapter 3. Just tuck this away. If a man died during these times and left a widow, the nearest relative could have the right, didn't have to, but had the right of what's called redeeming or marrying into this, uh, uh, this family, taking her for his wife, thus perpetuating his name and also owning, reclaiming, and keeping the land that he owned in the family. It was called a Leverite marriage. But in order to buy the land, he also had to marry this dead man's widow in order to ensure that that land would pass through his name. The custom, by the way, we'll look at next week was fully explained in Deuteronomy 25 if you wanna get a head start on that. More on this next week, but that would have been in the minds of all the Jewish readers when they read Ruth for the first time when they read this idea of near kinsman, kinsman redeemer, they would have remembered Deuteronomy 5 and they would have known, they would have seen what was coming. And I want you to be able to see what's coming as well. Even if you know the ending of the book of Ruth, just know that there are clues given as to what's going on behind the scenes. Let's dive in. Ruth chapter two, verse one. Now, Naomi had a kinsman, close relative of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We find out four things about Boaz in this verse. First of all, he was a close relative or a kinsman. That will play out more in the next two chapters. A kinsman redeemer in chapter two, verse 20, chapter three, verse nine, chapter three, verse 12. Second, we find out he was a, a ha one of my favorite Hebrew words, Gibor. This is a good one for you young men to, to memorize. Gibor, remember the Ha Giborim? remember that? That's the mighty men of David. He was a mighty man. And this didn't just speak of a mighty man of, of wealth, which is in play here, or of strength. The mighty men of David were loyal, faithful, godly men. This is another way of saying he was a tower of integrity. He was a man of valor a man who could be trusted. Third, we find out his connection was that he was of the family of Elimelech. It doesn't tell us that if he was a brother or an uncle or a cousin. We just know that he was a close relative and we'll find out next time not even the closest, but a close one. And fourthly, we find out his name, Boaz. If you're looking for a good name for a little boy, after you read the book of Ruth, Boaz ought to come to your mind. By the way, one more thing, just one more thing. We'll look at this in chapter four about Boaz. Would you turn over to Matthew for a moment? Chapter one. I want you to see this with, with your eyes in your own Bible. Giving the uh, genealogy of of our Lord. Verse five, this list of names. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse. Now, does this mean that Rahab was Boaz's mother? Probably not. It's about 366, not about, 366 years between the two. Almost four centuries. There's obviously some skipping of generations that happens in Matthew's uh, uh, account of the genealogy. His point was the same as when he says Jesus was the son of David. Was David Jesus' earthly father? No, he was pointing to the association by, by linkage, by lineage. If you trace back, think of this, if you trace back, and no doubt Boaz knew this, if you trace back in his family tree, you would eventually come to an Israelite marrying a foreign woman named Rahab who protected the armies of Israel. It's hard to imagine that that wasn't in his mind in the coming chapters. Back to Ruth chapter two. Verses two and three, we discover the incredible initiative of Ruth. And Ruth the Moabitess, she's called that for the second time, said to Naomi, it's almost like Samuel wants us to remember, you know who you're dealing with here, right? Ruth the Moabitess, the foreigner, who Deuteronomy said, don't associate with them for 10 generations and we'll find, we found out in chapter one why they can associate with her and that's that she was converted to worshiping Israel's God. She says, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I am in favor. And she said, go to her, my daughter. There's a lot in here that you might not recognize at first blush. First of all, why didn't she say to Naomi, let's go glean? The implication is Naomi was probably too old to do this. What does it mean to glean? <laughs> Here's your big definition of gleaning, ready? Pick up leftovers. That's what it means. You, you pick up the leftovers. The harvesters would come and they would, the, the servants would, the reapers would come and they would take, pick the, the heads of barley and we'll find out later of wheat. And as they did, they were doing it fast and some of it would fall to the ground. Well, in Leviticus 19, 23, and Deuteronomy 24, Israel was commanded to leave the corners, especially unpicked of the fields, and leave what fell on the ground for these gleaners to come by, the poor to come by, who couldn't own fields so that they could have a means of finding bread. She's saying, "We're by the fact that she's going to glean, We're dealing with a poor woman in a poor family with no ability to grow their own grain. We don't know what had happened to Elimelech's land except that they had just returned and no one had obviously been tilling it and caring for it if there was such a thing. So she goes to glean as a poor woman just picking up the leftovers after the reapers had harvested Verse 3, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Just exactly what I explained. And she happened to come. Now, in the Hebrew, it says chance upon chance. We would say as luck would have it. There's almost a tongue in cheek. We know God's providential. We'll see every bit of his providence in a moment. But it's almost like Samuel or the writer saying, Imagine this, she goes to find a field and it just happens to be this one with this man. She happened by chance to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz and he just sticks this in there. Who was of the family of Elimelech? You see exactly what's what's being foreshadowed here. By the way, Ruth was qualified to glean here on two accounts. She was a Moabite, a foreigner, who were to be taken care of under the shadow of the wings of Yahweh of Israel. And secondly, she was a widow who was supposed to be given special attention to be able to glean in Leviticus. Verse four, now behold, Boaz, please don't miss this. At that moment, On that day with that woman in that field, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He was in the city and he goes out to the field on that day. It happened, behold. And remember, when you see now behold uh, in in the Old Testament, that's that's in the vernacular of saying, guess what? It's almost like the writer saying, guess what? Boaz that day in that field came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, his workers, I love this. May the Lord, may Yahweh be with you. And they said to him in return, huh, May the Lord bless you. Boaz was not only a man of integrity, not only rich, not only a man of valor and a man of great respect, he was godly. His greeting included his theology. It's incredible. May the Lord be with you. Be blessed, in other words. His first words, this is the first time we hear him speak, show his graciousness and his grace. Verse five. Then Boaz said to his servant, I love this, who is in charge of the reapers. This is the, the foreman. Whose young woman is this? That's a weird question. That's an unexpected question. That's an odd question and it ought to alert you to the question he did not ask. He didn't say, who is this? That's what I would have said. I don't recognize her. Who is this? Let me tell you what's going on here that happens so often in our culture. Guy sees a girl. Guy has questions about this girl. And the guy looks at Her ring finger. And that's his way of saying, who does she belong to? He obviously noticed she wasn't Jewish. But he wanted to know, was she married? Now, I hope I'm not reading too much in this, but something got his eye. And I think chapters 3 and 4 will demonstrate that it was Ruth. He doesn't say, who is this? He says, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, now this is how the the story had spread in Bethlehem. She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She's that one everyone's talking about. How do we know everyone is talking about her? look back up at chapter 1 verse 19 they both went when they come back to Jerusalem uh, to Bethlehem rather uh, Naomi and Ruth and when they had come to Bethlehem all the city was stirred because of them <laughs> so the city's, city's stirred become, because of them Boaz probably hadn't seen her or met her he sees her who does she belong to she's that Moabite girl you keep hearing about And then he quotes what she had said. And she said to the foreman at one point, previous day probably, or that day, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came, has remained from the morning until now, hard worker. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Now I gotta tell you, that if, if you study Ruth and you have before, you, you likely know this. Verse seven is, the, is one of the biggest interpretive challenging passages in the book of Ruth and the reason is what house they were just out in the fields and they'll be out in the fields in a minute which house is this Lots of, oh my goodness, lots of theological, uh, rather uh, um, geographical uh, conjecture about this. I must have read five or six different theories about this is his house. They had gone back to Naomi's house. This was a friend's house. This was a house close. I, I think probably the idea that house is overstated and it's just shelter, maybe relief from the sun is the best way to understand this. She's been sitting in the house for a little while, probably some effort to get relief from the sun. Anyway, this is where Boaz and Ruth are gonna have their first conversation. Hard to call it a date, but their first conversation. Here it is, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully. It's a Hebrew idiom means mark my words. What I'm saying is critically important, my daughter. Now, don't make too much of that. That was just a greeting. My, my young friend, my, my friend who is a female and is likely younger than me, that's all you can take from that. Do not go on to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one. But stay here with my maids, my female workers. Verse 9: Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So much here in these two verses. I love how Dan Block, good friend of mine, he's been here and shared with us before, describes this scene. He says, From the first time Boaz opens his mouth until the last words he utters in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, his tone exudes compassion and grace and generosity in the man who speaks to this Moabite field worker, biblical has said or loving kindness becomes flesh and dwells among humankind, end quote. He goes on to discuss a unique feature of Boaz's character by what Boaz does in demanding a policy be applied specifically for Ruth. Look at verse 9. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you Block says this, Boaz is hereby instituting the first anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace recorded in the Bible. I think he's right. Why? I think he's kind and generous. Why else? Do I need to explain this to you? Leave her alone. Why, Boaz? I can only imagine the curled smile on his lips and then he says, when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. This is significant. It was custom for the women to draw for the men and a foreigner would never drink from the same water source as an Israelite. Can we just stop here for a moment? Just stop and look at Boaz. Paul told the Corinthians that we find examples to imitate in the Older Testament. So many things to observe, appreciate, and emulate from Boaz. Further, he should remind us of the grace of God revealed and the kindnesses that he demonstrates. But none as wonderful as the grace given to us through the gospel. Now, verse 10 gives some people some heartburn. When she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, the Hebrew word says she fell on her face and worshiped. Doesn't mean she worshiped Boaz. It means she was in an attitude of humble submission before him. And she says to him, why? I don't get it. Why have I found grace? Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm an outsider an outlier an outcast a foreigner a moabite her response is instructive have you ever been in a place where you felt really really uncomfortable like you were an outsider i've one of the most frightening times that i can remember my first time to russia i was flying from krasnoyarsk to back to moscow and then moscow to uh, back to the states and I, back in those days, there was a, um, uh, the, the Moscow International and the Moscow domestic uh, airports were about six miles, I don't know, six, 10 miles apart. And so when you flew into the domestic, you had to take a taxi over to the, um, um, uh, the international. So I flew in there and, and f- got out and I had some rubles just enough because I was told how much it would cost to get a, a taxi across and I did what they told me to do. You negotiate the price beforehand. You make sure that they, that they know what it is. I made a critical error, I'll tell you about in a moment. And so we put the luggage in the back. We go over there. We get out. And he asks me for double what we had agreed on. And then his broken English went away. And he began yelling at me in Russian and other taxi gatherers were gathering around and people were looking and staring. And I, I just thought, I, I said, this is all I have, I don't have any more, may I please have my luggage and go? And then it dawned on me that not only was my luggage in the trunk, so was my passport. And I felt the sweat start rolling down the middle of my back even though it was 10 degrees below zero. And I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be thrown in a, in a gulag and they'll find my bones in 100 years. I, what's gonna happen? And I felt sick, literally sick at being in that predicament. The feeling of the stares, I'll never forget that feeling. Well, finally he gave up because he realized that was all the money I had and he threw my luggage out and, and I went on. That must have been just a microcosm of what Ruth felt. Remember what it's like to show up on the first day of work and you feel like everybody's watching you? Imagine being in her position. She's a foreigner, she shows up to glean. She knows that she's the poor. She knows that everyone looks down on her and she feels all of this. Boaz says, tell you what, glean the best parts. And when you're thirsty, come and get the best water With the men in the best drink in the field. It's a picture of thankfulness that Ruth has. Now, thankfulness is such a missing virtue in our culture. Such a missing virtue. Ruth was thankful. She bows low and thanks him, showing her submission to Boaz and a demonstration that he knows she knows her position. She's very aware of her position as a foreigner, as a Moabite here. And this recognition is a great reminder of our response as far more than foreigners between a great and mighty God who has done similar kindnesses in planning to redeem us. Verse 11, Boaz replied to her, And now we find out something. All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. Remember the servant said, this is the one you've heard about? He obviously heard a lot about her. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, you came to a people that you did not previously know. We find out that Boaz had not only heard of the stir. So you got the real story, recognize God's grace and virtue of both Naomi and Ruth. Verse 12, may the Lord reward your gleaning, your work and the, your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. This means two things. Obviously, she had been converted. We found that out back in verse 16 of chapter 1. Your God will be my God, she says to Naomi. I am now Jewish, which would have put that 10th generation prohibition against the Moabites worshiping with an Israelite to the side because she became a proselyte. She was converted. In an Old Testament sense, she was saved in verse 16. So she sought to be under the, under the wing and protection of the God of Israel. But don't miss this. I think Boaz understood that to be under his oversight was also to be under the Lord's. He saw himself as an extension of God's kindness and God's mercy. Wow, do we see ourselves when we're doing acts of kindness and goodness as envoys and gloves in which God is putting his hands to work his way and his will. Verse 13, then she said, if I have found, and by the way, favor and grace is the same word in Hebrew. If I found grace or favor in your sight, my Lord, behold, I have found favor and grace in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant. Though I am not like one of your maidservants, how? How? She was from Moab. She looked differently, talked differently, had, a, had an accent. Whatever Hebrew she had learned, she had a strong Moabite accent. Boaz understands the theological, theological significance of Ruth's conversion here. You have sought refuge under the shadow of the true God of Israel. But he also recognizes that he himself is functioning as the physical refuge for God. So, verse 14, at mealtime, he said to her, Hum, they are having lunch together. Can you hear the whispers? Can you see the looks? Come here, that you may eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar." So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. Completely flip-flop from the Jewish culture. If you had been a Jew, reading this in the time that I think Samuel wrote it, you would have saw that and this was a five alarm red blinking light. He served her this was as arresting as Jesus serving and washing the disciples' feet in John 13. And don't think everyone didn't notice either. She ate. She was full, satisfied, and had some left. Naomi will get that later. When she rose to glean to go back to work, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Why would she be the target of insults? She was a Moabite foreigner. I'm sure they had the racial slurs, the derogatory comments that are present in our culture. and He said, don't do it. Also, I love verse 16. Look at what he does. You shall purposefully pull out for her some grain from the bundles that's already harvested and leave it that she may glean. Do not rebuke her. This is like having a kid going out to look for Easter eggs and you put them right in their way. He wanted her to be full. He says, look, I know you've picked some stuff. Instead of letting her pick up the leftovers, take some that's been already harvested and just put it in piles for her. I just can see her going. And all the other gleaners going, why is that in her path and not mine? Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley, more than a week's worth. She took it up, went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she had satisfied what had been already roasted, the leftover lunch. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today (laughs) and where did you work? Before knowing anything, may he who took notice of you be blessed. Isn't it interesting that she knew this wasn't normal? Somebody took notice of you, let you glean, and this is what you got. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, Naomi, the the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, verse 20, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and now we find out something else, and to the dead. How was that? Because he was related to her dead husband. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He's a kinsman. He's one of our kinsman redeemers, our closest relatives. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, well, well, it's not over. Furthermore, he said to me, you haven't got the whole story yet, Naomi, you're getting excited. You should stay close to my servants until they've finished all my harvest. Naomi said to her her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that the others do not fall upon you in another field. Now, this is interesting to me. Was that because she was a Moabitess? Possibly. Some scholars think, though, that she must have not been hard to look at. Pretty. And the thought was, if you go in and, in, into another field, you may be taken advantage of, which might intimate why there was this anti-sexual harassment policy put in by Boaz. Don't touch her. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest. I love this. That would have been about six weeks. And the wheat harvest, another month. And she lived with her mother in law. Why is that last phrase in there? Because all of these conversations are, were going to continue to take place. She Resided with her mother-in-law. We don't know where it was. Was it in Elimelech's old house? Were they staying with a relative? We're not told. Chapter ends with a summary of what's transpired. She's gonna be out in the fields for six to eight weeks between the two harvests from late late April until early June by our designation of months. And how will time resolve this situation between Boaz, the Hagibor, the mighty man, and this Moabite woman? If you want, you can keep reading. I think Boaz has a special attraction and affection for. Ruth, and if you're wondering why I think that, just read chapter three. So let's back up from this. Let's back up and kind of grab some of this for us. What are are some takeaways? I have four takeaways that I've written down for for my own heart looking at Ruth 2. Four takeaways. Four questions I've asked myself. Number one Do we recognize the kindness of God to us in His providence? in the details of our lives? Do we recognize the kindnesses, plural, kindnesses of God to us in the providence, you can say, of every little part of our lives? You know, I read this story and I think, I wonder what God is doing today in my life, the conversations that I'll have, the people with whom I'll interact, act, act with, the, the needs that I see, that could I be Boaz and meet them, the place I am in being in need and could I be meeting a Boaz? I, these are examples, Paul said, for us to look to. And the great example is God has providentially, been. I mean isn't it interesting she's out in that field on that day and Boaz comes on that particular moment, in that particular moment from Bethlehem and there they are. Do you recognize the intimate inner workings of God In your life, He is doing tens of thousands of things in every single thing that you're a part of. Just turn on the light of your theological mind and see that He is here and working. Second question Are we ready to demonstrate God's loving kindness to those who do not deserve it? Paul told us that there's something to imitate in Boaz. Do we? Are we ready to demonstrate God's loving kindness to those who do not deserve it? She didn't deserve it as a a foreigner and a Moabitess, but Boaz gave it to her. Number three, are we controlled more by what others will think than we are by what God wants us to do? I think you can find that in Boaz's life and decisions. Are we controlled more by what others will think than we are by what God wants us to do? You'll be confronted, no doubt, before sundown with making decisions of honoring God and his word We're not doing that because of the threat of what someone might think by our obedience. Boaz took care of this woman. Oh, sure, there may have been some interesting reasons, but he still, according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, did what was right. Number four, this is really penetrating to me. Do we see ourselves... As outcast foreigners to God, and understand his kindness and grace toward us in the gospel. Look, this is an analogy at best. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us to look at Ruth this way, but it's hard not to see has said loving kindness, grace, which is the signature of God in his interaction with, with people and not see a paradigm for how God looks at us. We were foreign sinners and yet in the gospel he, he didn't just allow us to get food. He paid for our salvation through the death of his, his son. Do you see God under whose wings protection and purpose can be found. Do you see God in Ruth? God gave us emotions. I think you see Jesus demonstrating emotions. God created our muscles and our, and our cheeks that would allow a smile. I can't help but think during this Story, this real life episode, and when it was being written by Samuel, that there might not have been a smile on the giver of emotions to see what was about to happen. I'm going to confess, I know how it ends. And still drilling down to this, I'm just amazed, just amazed at what God's doing. We're going to climb toward Christmas by ending in chapter four. But all of these characteristics of God should be embraced and giving us fodder for worship, especially in this season. Let's pray.